Hey everyone, welcome to a bonus episode of our podcast here at Konzenshu. I am Mike Vegito EX. What you got coming in your ears here is not a normal episode of our podcast. This is something I was invited to join in on. Our buddy Chris Neosi, you may know him as Kerberfer, runs an ongoing what's basically a podcast on his YouTube channel, Kerblog. He invited me on to talk about Dragon Ball GT. So we did that for a little over an hour. We talked about the history, the conception of Dragon Ball GT, who were some of the key players there, our opinions on the story arcs of the series, how it fits into the larger Dragon Ball franchise these days. I think it is a pretty good listen, and I edited the show, so I'm throwing it in as a bonus episode of our podcast. www.kanzenshuu.com. That is Kanzenshu. Again, this is not a normal episode of our podcast. This is a fun bonus discussion. You can check out Chris's YouTube channel, youtube.com slash kerbofer15. That's K-I-R-B-O-P-H. HER15 Kerberfer15. So enjoy this bonus episode about Dragon Ball GT. I uh, hope you enjoyed the previous episode of the podcast in the feed and hope you enjoy the next podcast episode in the feed. Enjoy. See you then. Grand tour, grand tour. The grand tour, grand tour. GT. Everybody has closed the window. Every single person. No matter where you found this, you have closed it, and that's okay with me. And I've also blown out the fucking audio, so this is just like the old days of Consent <laughs> oh, oh my god. Oh my god. Uh, I'm crying. Everything Stop. hurts. Everything hurts. <laughs> Why god. Hi, welcome, everybody. So yeah, guess guess what? Another Kerblog about Dragon Ball. But this time, not about Super. Uh, because we are currently still in the middle of the, um, Future Trunks slash Black Goku slash whatever you want to call it, uh, arc, and, uh, it's going on for a while, we're not quite sure how long it's going to be going for, but I thought, uh, this would be a fun subject to tackle. I got a question submitted a little while ago by Jack Drius again, who has been submitting a few different topics recently. Hey, Curb, I was wondering if you could do a Curb blog about Dragon Ball GT. You have in the past alluded to it, and I'm interested in your opinion on it. Keep up the great work. Uh, so, as per the usual, I couldn't do it alone, and uh, I was joined by the only appropriate person to come on. It's Mike. Hi. Welcome Hi. back. Hi. It's hey. me. It's Mike. What's up? Uh, we're going to talk about Dragon Ball GT. Aren't you so excited? Now, Chris, why are you framing it that way? Are you trying to imply something? <laughs> no, I actually, I, I'm excited. You know, for one thing, I'm actually kind of surprised that I hadn't done this before, especially in the midst of like all of the general Dragon Ball topics and, and etc. Uh, because I actually do have a fair bit of positive things to say, even though it's easy for a lot of, you know, I, I guess particularly the American audience of Dragon Ball to bring up GT in that like, uh kind of way. Uh, but we're not actually going to sit here for the next however long this goes for to just complain about how bad it is or whatever. We actually have a lot of different things to talk about that I thought would be interesting. And Mike, uh, in particular, because of his history in the early days of fandom, I thought would be cool to bring on for this. So, uh, yeah. But thanks for coming again, as always. I know that I, I can always call upon you for this at any hour of the day. So. <laughs> There's an EX that lights up in the sky in Mike appears. <laughs> 
It's like, this is, this is the podcast that somebody deserves. Oh, wait, I, whatever, you get it. Anyway, before I drive myself into the fucking ground. So, Dragon Ball GT, uh, where do we even... Well, no, I mean, I can't even say where do we start because you have a fucking outline because <laughs> you're prepared <laughs> for this. Where do you want to start, Mike, with, about, about the Grand Tour? Sure, I, I think the way we need to frame what has been the scapegoat for the last 20 years, because honestly, that's what it's been, uh, at least up until now with Super. Uh, Dragon Ball GT, like, what is it? How did it come about? Why does it even exist? And so the way I wanted to describe it is uh, Toriyama was finally allowed slash made the executive decision on his own to wrap up the original Dragon Ball manga. And that was in 1995. And the final chapter of that came out in May of that year in Weekly Shonen Jump there in Japan. Uh, and the TV adaptation continued through January 1996. And here we are with Dragon Ball being the largest success that, honestly, Toei and Shueisha have seen. It's like, why would we stop that money train uh, pretty much dead in its track? So what they decided Decided to do was make a TV original sequel series continuing on the story from where Toriyama's manga ended. Uh, what they did to kind of lend it some credibility at the beginning there, and this makes sense, is they went to Toriyama and said, all right, help us out a little bit here at the beginning, you know, get us on our feet. So what Toriyama did is he did the initial character designs for, yes, the three main characters, Goku, Pan, and Trunks, but uh, also kind of the extended cast, uh, Vegeta with the mustache, that's a Toriyama design, all those characters there. Yeah, as much as, much as people probably don't want to admit that, that is right. In fact, the case. There's a piece of concept art that I actually saw at a panel for the first time that you did uh, years ago. I think it was at Otakon. Oh yeah. I think it was the uh, the ten the ten things you might not know about Dragon Ball panel, and uh, that was my first time seeing the concept art of basically the extended, uh, you know, Z Fighters family of everybody and everybody's kids and moms and dogs, etc. <laughs> and uh, yeah, right in there was a sketch by Toriyama of Vegeta with the mustache, lo and behold. So yeah, yeah. yeah there you go, everybody. <laughs> and he did some other stuff too. Uh, he actually suggested the title coming from Grand Touring. They're going off into space. Uh, he designed the logo for Dragon Ball GT. He designed Gil or Giru, who didn't have a name initially, uh, but he did the design for the character. He designed the spaceship they left in and he did some landscape, uh, planet designs. There's three main pieces of concept art that Toriyama developed for the beginning of the series. So that was kind of like the, the inspiration that the staff at Toei could take from there. And there's one other name I want to throw into the mix. I mean, we have a director and we have the series organizer. The name I really want to hone in on here is Katsuyoshi Nakatsuru. He did the character designs beyond Toriyama's stuff for Dragon Ball GT. And he's also responsible for taking the designs Toriyama made and creating the final anime versions of those designs. So Nakatsuru is someone who had been with the series for an extremely long time. Uh, he was an animator, character designer. He's, uh, I've always considered him Toriyama's doppelganger, like the perfect doppelganger for about the Frieza arc onward when Toriyama's art style was starting to change. And so Nakatsuru took over uh, as this main designer for Dragon Ball GT. And his uh, his influence is what you're seeing throughout that entire series there. Now, what, what I'm, uh, I'm kind of interested in for when we release this, because I, I, I never have a full handle on like what the general age range of my uh, I guess my listeners 
interface is. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I, I often talk about how I'm very happy that a whole new generation of Dragon Ball fans have kind of evolved out of uh, the, the sort of resurgence. Well, not even just the resurgence, because it's always kind of been present here with like video games and things. But when uh, Dragon Ball Kai started airing on Nicktoons and CW, etc., um, you know, a whole bunch of, of new kids that, you know, probably never had seen it before uh, might have, you know, been introduced to it in that way. And interestingly, I don't know if a whole lot of people know this, but when it was still airing on Nicktoons, obviously at the moment we're recording this, it's back on Cartoon Network again uh, on Toonami. But uh, after the uh, the initial run of Kai, those like 98, 99 episodes had finished, airing uh, Dragon Ball GT in reruns were being aired. Of course, the whole thing aired already on Cartoon Network. Uh, almost every bit of Dragon Ball, everything has aired at some point on Cartoon Network. Like, right, just right. about everything. But uh, yeah, basically, I think when they ran out of Kai episodes and we didn't know if the boo stuff was going to happen, I guess they were like, uh, you got anything else, Funimation? They were like, uh, we have Dragon Ball GT, <laughs> right, here right. you go. Um, yeah. So I, I do wonder about maybe like what the introduction like that has been for newer fans. But what's what's kind of interesting for at least from my perspective, I know that obviously you, you had a totally different kind of um, set up because we've talked many times about since you're a little older than me and you were in the the sort of fan sub trading days. Well, not just that, Chris. I mean, here, here's a really frightening thing. When I got into the series. GT was still contemporary on Japanese television. <laughs> yeah, yeah, see, that's the thing. Is like GT was, I think, close to finishing up by the time that it was getting out over that. That Z was really hitting its big stride over here because it ended in in ninety six, I think, right? 97? It ended in ninety seven. So as okay. Z hit, we're actually approaching the twentieth anniversary of DBZ proper here in North America. Yeah, as that Z came gross. over here, GT still had about a year left on Japanese TV. Crazy. Yeah, and like I remember the kind of early days. I, I've spoken many times about the early days of the internet for me as I'm sure you have in, in the podcast many times that was around the time when I was starting to go to fan sites it's probably around when I even maybe discovered an early uh, version of, of what you know was previously Daisenshu um, and then uh, you know that, that was when Dragon Ball GT was this mysterious like extra series after Dragon Ball Z finished right. and there's like other Super Saiyan forms and all these other new characters and everything because you know obviously there were there were whole, there were lots and lots of like you know, like summaries of all the different arcs and, and villain fights and everything for Z, you know, start to finish and stuff like Beckett Magazine and things. But GT was was kind of this big mystery for a lot of people. Uh, but with a lot of the, I guess, the the first generation of, um, you know, fan site owners and things that, that you had known or, or you know, I've been acquainted with at the, at the time, it was a little bit less of a mystery. So what was kind of, bring us back, 1996. <laughs> right. And an era and the, and the, and of, of weird shit happening with anime and, and everywhere. Right. Um, how was GT for you back then when it was like actually airing on TV? Well, GT was a thing that at least for those of us who were discovering it through uh, Funimation's early syndication of DBZ, it was a thing we were aware of. It was hard to avoid because it was new in Japan. So the folks that had come before us had moved on to that because they were staying current with the series. We were so into just discovering DBZ though that we were trying to learn as much about that as we could before our tentacles kind of went elsewhere to learn about, oh, I want to learn about the music, I want to learn about GT, I want to learn about the video games. Like we, we focused on Z proper. But like you were saying, it was hard to ignore because we had folks like Curtis Hoffman, who I consider like the grandfather, the godfather of Dragon Ball sourced documentation on the internet. He was doing weekly summaries of GT as it was airing in Japan. Uh, I mean, there was so much stuff out there. Toei had an official website that they were updating on a weekly schedule with screenshots 
screenshots from the upcoming episode, just like we have now with Dragon Ball Super, where you go to Toei's website and they'll have you know, the next episode preview. They did the same thing with GT in 96, 97. I mean, that stuff was out there. Uh, and I remember seeing the Super Saiyan 4 Vegeta screenshots being like, whoa, I, I can't even bother with this yet. This is just beyond me. So it was the kind of thing I was aware of. You also have to consider 1997. That's when Final Bout hit the PlayStation. And we got that released as Dragon Ball GT Final Bout. It's actually just called Dragon Ball Final Bout in Japan. It's considered like this. Very odd. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's like an all-star game with characters from all over the place. And it's so strange that they branded it as GT, a series we wouldn't get proper for years to come after that. So for us at the time, if you were really into the series, it was hard to ignore GT. It actually was in our face for a few years there before it kind of faded away as the next generation of fans came in and themselves got absorbed into Z proper. See, what, what I'm kind of curious about too, I mean, this was of course way before the, uh, I mean, I, I would imagine a pretty decent while before the infamous, uh, you know, Dragon Ball AF rumor bullshit mill was kind of coming out. Oh, I mean, it, it was all around that same time. I was just looking on some old newsgroup posts uh, earlier today, trying to determine some dates and time frames and stuff. And there was Dragon Ball ZZZ rumors uh, at that same time, <laughs> even as GT was happening. Because also there was word getting around that GT was going to be coming to a close in 97. So there were already comments around that time of, oh, what will the next series be? Oh, I hear there's right. another new series. So that stuff stems all the way back to GT, again, being contemporary. Right. Well, see, because the reason I bring that up, too, is because I wonder about with just so little amount of information. I mean, you know, it's funny, too. I I don't know if we've said this on any of these curb laws before, but to the point where even back then, like Funimation themselves were having difficult being able to find any kind of original information, you know, beyond the very minimal stuff that they were being sent from Toei directly. Yeah. yeah. Like the, the Internet was was so small compared to how it is now there was it was so much more difficult to actually get information that even was sourced in the first place you know this was the time where it was easy to just get away with photoshopped pictures and doing you know luigi is in mario 64 shit and everybody would believe you (laughs) right because everything was a 160 by 120 jpeg at 20 percent quality i mean that was the best we could do on our dial-up modems yeah more or less and like i i just see so many i just feel like maybe with my little faith in people on the internet especially at that time and maybe even today i don't know but I wonder about, like, did people try to capitalize on, like, the mystery of that and, like, make up things about, like, how the Super Saiyan, the, like, the new Super Saiyan forms were achieved and, like, the different villains and the different... I imagine they probably had a field day with, like, some of the villains coming back and, like, the Super 17 stuff and, and all that kind of shit. Like, were there were there a lot of things like that, even past the, the like, the next series or whatever? Did, were there people that did try to, like, spread a lot of, like, misinformation kind of, like, around? Or, or was it mostly people like Curtis Hoffman who were, like actually making a, a, a striving effort to have everything be as accurate and, and known as possible to what they could find. Well, you have to consider back in 1996, there were only 12 of us on the internet. So it was a very <laughs> close-knit group of people. So the two people that were trying to make things up, I mean, those were ignored pretty easily. No, it, it was... Right. I'd say it was similar in many ways to today when you have the clickbait YouTube videos with the doujinshi art trying to pass off, like, here are the next 10 gods of destruction. Yeah, there was some of that. But at that time, like you were saying, it was so hard to get information that a lot of the misinformation wasn't nefarious on purpose. It was just, we don't know, we heard something, maybe this is it. 
Well, I guess kind of moving forward then. So, well, okay, as far as like actually watching episodes, I, I think we might both have some interesting and maybe even similar stories. Uh, but you started. How did, what, what was like the first stuff of GT that you ever saw? Yeah. So again, my brief story, maybe I don't know if I've talked about it on your curb blogs before. I've talked about it on my podcast before, certainly. Uh, now I got into the series in 1996. Uh, I started getting my first fan subs in 1997. The first stuff I got was the Super Saiyan Goku transformation. I think it was Z94 through 104, 105, something like that. Uh, and my first kind of big order from a fan subber would have been in very early 1998. And the first batch that I got was the Bardock and Trunks TV specials, DBZ Movies 11 and 12, so Bio Broly and Janemba, and then a tape of Raw Dragon Ball GT, and it was episodes 59 and then 61 through 64, so I missed the Super Saiyan 4 Gogeta episode. Like, one of those things that someone forgot to record that week, and we missed it for years. Uh, so... When I think back on that, for the time on VHS, I was incredibly lucky. I got that very, very fresh compared to what tapes were like back at that time. But before that, so that was the first time I watched it, but I heard about the ending and the reason I bought it. Uh, I know you know the name Greg Werner. He actually works partially for Shueisha now. He writes for V-Jump magazine in Japan, like the number one One Piece fan. Greg used to run the Ultimate DBZ information website. I cornered him alone in a Yahoo chat room late one night. Night in 1997 <laughs> and I made Greg tell me how Dragon Ball GT ended uh, and that's kind of one of the things that prompted me to want to get that tape so the first GT I saw was literally the end of the series in raw Japanese at the beginning of 1998 uh, I, I believe I've told my story too and it correlates beautifully with yours but I'll, I'll repeat it here because I, I love telling it um, so one year I, I had a friend who went to a place called Collector's Kingdom where he would rent all of DBZ and GT, uh, on fat sub rentable bootleg tapes. And, uh, he was familiar with all the stuff that hadn't aired on Cartoon Network yet and et cetera. And one year for my birthday, I was like, I want to know how the entire Dragon Ball series ends. So Boo, I believe was still airing on Cartoon Network. We hadn't even finished the Boo stuff yet. And he brought in a tape. Uh, that was absolutely horrendous quality. There's a major difference between you and me. It was like ours was just, it was gross looking. Um, might have been copied like, you know, 10 or 11 times by that fucking point. But we were, uh, we were watching the last, uh, I think two episodes of GT. Uh, I, I remember the, the tape started right around where, uh, Yi Shenlong, uh, the one star dragon or uh, Sin Shenlong, uh, Omega Shenlong, whatever you want to call him, the final bad guy. Uh, was turning the sky black with his like evil energy shit or whatever. It started right around there and it went, it went up through the ending. Okay. Uh, had all of the com- had all of the commercials intact and everything, which we were having a great time uh, looking at those as well. And uh, and and that was not only my first exposure to GT before Z was even over, and I, and I had even seen the ending of of the actual show that was airing over here. That was also my very first exposure to the Japanese version of Dragon Ball anything. And, and interestingly, I was not turned off later. I think I, I might have, I forget if I've said this before either, but this is worth saying. Um, because I knew about the basic concept of Goku got turned into a little kid because of a screwed up wish by Pilaf, uh, I knew that he was a kid. So when I hear, I hear his, his voice coming out of the Super Saiyan 4 
form where he's a full-grown adult and he's played by a woman, I just assumed, oh, that must be the voice actress that plays him when he's a little kid. Okay, that makes sense because it's, it's still Goku and he's basically a kid still. Uh, and then we saw the rest of it. So I didn't even bat an eye at that. And I didn't... So my first exposure to, you know, for what a lot of people is the weirdness of hearing Masako Nozawa performing, you know, all ages of Goku, including when he's an adult, was actually presented to me in a way that wasn't weird. And I, and I think that might have even made my reception to it when I watched more of the Japanese stuff later uh, to be more positive, uh, just because of the way that I'd, I'd been exposed to it. Um, but anyway, so I had um, I'd seen the ending, I really liked it, and I, I just, that, that was a really fun birthday with all of us, we, you know, all of my friends and I, we were all DBZ fans, we all sat on the couch in my living room and watched it together, it was, it was a complete mystery to basically all of us, and even in, in the, the last episode, we even kind of got a taste of... Uh, the end of the Boo stuff, because in the ending montage, we you, saw yeah. <laughs> the, the footage of, of Kid Boo being killed by the, the spirit bomb and everything. Right. So we were like, oh, okay, and we're going to get to that soon eventually, too. And, that, and you know, that was a big event as well. Um, but yeah, so kind of a, kind of a weird thing that for both of us, like before even properly seeing the show as it was kind of presented, yeah, we yeah. see the end of not only that, but really the entire you know, the life of the show on TV for a good several, several years. Right, exactly. So we've talked about what Dragon Ball GT is, uh, how we came to it, how we were first introduced to it. I think we should talk about the content, but the way I want to frame this here is, Chris, isn't it impossible now to talk about GT without acknowledging Dragon Ball Super? I think it is. I, I don't think you can talk about GT without there being correlations drawn to Super. And that's despite more involvement from Toriyama in Super. And despite the fact that Super is technically taking place before the end of the manga, it's still kind of a sequel series. Uh, and, and it's very strange that we live in an era where these are kind of overlapping. Maybe. Who knows how they're going to handle that? Yeah, we'll see. Okay, it... I've been hearing a lot of, uh, we might go into a little bit more of this later, but I've been hearing a lot of comments from people who maybe qu aren't, aren't quite, I, this is going to sound elitist, but whatever, people who aren't quite as informed as to like the ins and outs of how this works. Because like, we're lucky in that like, we, we not only had to do a fair amount of research, but we have access to a lot of information that, um, you know, with, with what we know going into it, like as fans for this long and everything. So, like, a lot of people are, you know, throwing around stuff like, oh, GT is now being overwritten, it's not canon anymore, you know. We've talked extensively at this point about what is or is not considered canon in Dragon Ball anything, which, you know, that in and of itself is kind of a complicated issue, but, um, but the thing is... Okay, I feel like this is this is a point that's worth being brought up, and you've you've said this many times in your podcast. Dragon Ball GT is not something that Toei or anybody uh, you know officially involved with anything regarding Dragon Ball is ever going to officially proclaim as not canon or not real or not worth whatever. Because the truth of the matter is, it's a business and it's a product that people can buy. And as long as they're going to continue to have any kind of like new home releases and DVDs or, you know, more commonly putting the GT characters in the new video games that come out every year, which they will never stop doing as far as I'm concerned, yeah. they're not going to go ahead and be like, oh, no, no, this isn't the, the real thing. It's Dragon Ball Super. Like, even though Dragon Ball Super is like the new hotness that they want everybody to focus on right now, they're not saying like, oh, just, just completely disacknowledge GT because that would be basically shooting themselves in the foot from a business standpoint. Yeah, you're not you're not going to tell your audience, "Oh, forget about that. Remember that? Forget about that one." Because 
then you're you're going to lose sales. You're you're giving your fans an excuse not to pay attention to it. Uh, like you were saying with video games, it's, it's not just that they include it. Uh, I've been playing Dragon Ball Fusions on the Japanese 3DS, uh, and one of the end game fights you go to is you fight against Goku and Vegeta. They transform to Super Saiyan. Uh, you win. They come back. They transform to Super Saiyan three. You win. They come back. They transform to Super Saiyan four. You win. They come back. They transform to Super Saiyan blue, and then the fight's over. It's like <laughs> this is all. They're just throwing it all in there. But beyond that, take a, a step back to Dragon Ball Heroes. Forget Dragon Ball Super. Dragon Ball Heroes has been the thing raking in cash in Japan. The third update series to Dragon Ball Heroes was entirely based on Dragon Ball GT. It served mm-hmm. as the basis to indoctrinate an entire new group of fans in Japan. They are not only not ignoring it, but they're never going to ignore it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great point. Because, I mean, Dragon Ball Heroes, I think, is worth bringing up because it, it's not something that really has a presence over here. Here. It's a it's a card based like arcade and and uh, and and also home console mostly for DS game series where it, it literally like people joke about the Tenkaichi games or the the Spartan yeah, yeah. games right. uh, having a billion characters. This series of games literally has like almost every single possible character that has ever fought in anything for five seconds as a playable character in some way as a card that you can buy as a product. Right. And, you know, it's one thing that, like, we typically, we get Yi Xin Long, we get the, the GT versions of the, the main three and the Super Saiyan 4 forums, and maybe, and maybe sometimes we'll get Baby or Super 17. This one has, like, you know, Lude and Dolltucky and Muchi and, you know, characters like that, you know, to the people who will actually know who those characters are, <laughs> um, you know, as playables, like, and on products, you know, because there's so much that they can draw from to make use of for something like that. It, it, it's like, why would we not? Why would we not, you know, have more, especially because we can draw this out and have Because Heroes has been going on for years and years by this point, hasn't it? Yeah, we're into the sixth year right now, and we're looking ahead to Super Dragon Ball Heroes, which is going to be the first, not just an expansion, but a complete overhaul onto new arcade hardware and everything. So, Chris, we've okay. been talking almost like 25 minutes now, not even talking about the content of the, the content series of GT itself. itself. So yeah. let's turn it over to the content of GT. And the way, you know, you kind of think about GT in general, General. You have the early setup stuff, but that's also a part of the larger story, almost like when you have uh, 19 and 20, 17 and 18, part of the larger cell arc. We have this larger arc with Baby and the revenge on the science. Then we transfer over to a very short mini arc there, the Super 17 arc. Uh, and then we end up with repercussions of the Dragon Balls and we have the evil dragons. So there's three arcs in Dragon Ball GT, kind of as a series. And you got some little bits here and there. Uh, I got to give a shout out to episode 41 with the uh, Tenkaichi Budokai there. Papaya Man is the greatest character in the history of Dragon Ball, <laughs> may I just add there. So we have these three arcs. Uh, one of them is very long. One of them is like six, seven episodes, and the other takes up the rest of the series there. Um, I want to start with the first arc there with Dr. Mew from Mutant and Baby from being a baby that's his name <laughs> the revenge on the signs this is essentially ripped wholesale from what started as a game on the Nintendo Famicom in 1993 uh, planned to eradicate the science Saiyajin Zitsumitsu Keikaku it was an original story about a Sufrurian or Tuffles in the dub uh, enacting his revenge on the science for what they did to that race that may sound familiar if you've never played that but have seen Dragon Ball GT because it's essentially the same story of course planned to eradicate the science got remade uh, it was turned into two games on Bandai's Pladia in 1994 
before. It got an official visual guide or a two-volume OVA that told you how to play the game, uh, and it was remade into Plan to Eradicate the Super Science that came included as a bonus video feature with Raging Blast 2. That's probably how most people listening to this might be familiar with that story. So for folks of my age coming into GT, we're like, um... Been there, done that with Revenge on the Science. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, well, actually, before we even dive into that, too, I want to even take a step back for a second, um, because, well, it is worth saying that that arc uh, regarding, you know, Dr. Mew and, and then eventually Baby as the, as the lead villains, um, that was the first stuff that we officially got in the U.S. Uh, when GT started airing on Cartoon Network and when the DVDs were coming out. But, uh, you know, we skipped... A good like how many episodes was the basically the the actual grand tour part uh, where they're going around different planets trying to get the Black Star Dragon Balls? That was a good like twenty something episodes I think that they had skipped over and and started right at uh, when they go to the planet M two and they're fighting all the machine mutants and everything. Volume one I put in quotes there, there we got Affliction started with a Funimation original dub only recap episode a grand problem and then it went into episode seventeen. Of Dragon Ball GT. Yeah, and I remember that day, and, and and even with my, like, still pretty limited knowledge of how everything was going in Japan, when I saw that, I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure that this is not how this is supposed to go. I don't, I'm not entirely, and, and then of course, you know, a quick search by that point. I, th- I think even actually, I think Funimation even might have acknowledged that, like, yeah, we're skipping to the good part, you know, or, or something akin to that at the time. Oh, they they absolutely did. Uh, so just to set the stage, I know we keep, like, going forward and then taking two steps back. To set the stage, the person who was primarily in charge of this kind of stuff at Funimation at the time was a guy named Barry Watson. And Dragon Ball GT was pretty much his last hurrah before he left to form his own studio called Illumitune that failed, fell on its head uh, and did a little yep. bit with uh, Boba Bobo Boba Bo and some other stuff there. Uh, but Barry was the one responsible for pretty much all the major uh, artistic decisions in addition to the marketing, uh, the replacement music. That's Barry's decision. The voice casting, the direction, that's Barry's decision. Uh, and he was kind of the spearhead behind this kind of stuff at the time. And the way that I, I talk about what we now know as the lost episodes, I think it was it was not just clever it was absolutely brilliant because they made fans yearn for something that they had just previously admitted they didn't even want they made the early part of gt something you wanted and that's crazy that they turned it on its head and they completely manipulated us and it was brilliant. Well, what I think is important to bring up about those episodes, too, is another thing that would often get tossed around and, and, and you know, uneducated opinions about like, oh, you know, like it didn't do well or it did do well or this is what the, the Japanese audience wanted or this is what they didn't want it or whatever. I don't know. But in fact, actually, you might even have more insight about this, etc. So the beginning of Dragon Ball GT, where the, the basic concept of the show as it started in Japan was Goku gets turned into a kid, they have to get the Black Star Dragon Balls that have been scattered around the galaxy in the span of a year or the planet Earth will be destroyed, and so Goku can wish for him to be turned back into an adult again, etc. That was the concept originally for the show, and it was a kind of more lighthearted Dragon Ball-esque adventure show where Goku, Pan, and Trunks are going around these different planets and having little cutesy, fun, filler-esque adventures, although obviously because it was original animation, there was it wasn't filler, 
uh, and to begin with. And in fact, some of those episodes were even based on the illustrations that Toriyama had done that Mike was talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. But that whole, you know, those those 17 episodes, and even maybe to some extent some of the stuff after they go to the planet M2 before, you know, Baby becomes kind of the, the star of the, 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 the villain show as it is when he gets back to the planet Earth. Um, a lot of people who groan about GT, they cite that particular part in how it's 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 too Dragon Ball-esque and not enough Dragon Ball Z-esque, which is where the show kind of eventually ended up taking a turn into. You know, th- there's a lot of misinformation out about there. What is, what is it that you know about, like, you know, if you know some stuff about the general direction of when the show was coming out and the response and, you know, if there were changes on purpose because of that, et cetera. Like, is there anything about that that is true or false that a lot of people have been spouting for years, you think? Well, there's two parts there. I mean, what you're talking about where, oh, people didn't really like that part. Uh, I mean, Funimation knew that. They they saw the sentiment online at the time, and that's precisely why they did what they did. But if you're talking about did the course of Dragon Ball GT in Japan take a hard turn and start getting action-oriented because they saw what was happening, I mean, think about what we were just talking about, where they only skipped ahead to episode 17. And even at that part, they're already talking about Dr. Mew and baby stuff. And there's even some cameos and allusions to that way earlier in the series. That stuff was already planned and plotted out to go along that course. If you're talking Mm -hmm. about, oh, we need to course correct here. Oh, this is going to be coming to a close. You can start talking about that at the very end of the Evil Dragon stuff. But this early on in the series, they already have what the trajectory of this arc is going to be. That's already planned. Uh, They've had enough pre-planning time knowing what the end of the manga was and how much time they had until they had to start GT. I mean, there was no question about what the span of episodes were going to be and what they were going to contain so do you think that the the eventual because I, I guess like the baby stuff is is like where it really began to get like z-esque more than yeah, happened yeah. before so do you think that like from the beginning they knew okay it's going to start out kind of lighthearted and fun and and dragon ball-esque with the adventure kind of stories and everything on these different planets etc and then it's eventually going to turn into a little bit more of a darker um, you know, the way that, that a lot of people remember Z4 with the, the, the big fights and the more kind of like slick looking, like badass uh, kind of like villains and everything. Because even like uh, Rild uh, or yeah, Rildo, yeah. as Funimation brilliantly decided to call him, um, you know, was he was kind of along those like he, like Rild was a character. I feel like he could have just like popped out of one of the Z movies and yeah, for sure. totally fit in there. That was the plan. That was the trajectory of the series. You have to set up a story. You have to set up a tone. Uh, and mm-hmm. you can't just jump into it like Funimation did. And you have a, and you're like, what, what's going on here? What is the tone of the show? Well, out of curiosity, how do you, as just purely a fan, do you enjoy anything about, because uh, actually, I, I'd forgotten to mention even this too. I mean, I had to call you out here. A while ago, you were doing a uh, Dragon Ball GT review of awesomeness yep. uh, on your podcast, which I'm assuming has mostly not continued because uh, Jeff hasn't been around to continue recording it. Yeah, I mean, when people marry and move and you don't literally live <laughs> like i walk outside stumble onto his doorstep it's not as easy to you know when friends that right. get together you don't want to watch gt you want to you know have yeah. a few beers and catch up um but, but that said like you guys were going through the the early early part that we yeah, were just yeah. talking about as a, as just a fan what do you think of those episodes do you do you enjoy any of those do you generally think that it didn't get all that great until the m2 stuff was happening what's kind of your opinion no i i actually uh, disagree with that 
entirely. I, I really enjoy that early stuff. I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. fun to be had. Uh, the one thing that always sticks out for me is those worms. What was that about? And like the key blasts that you know everyone fires and they're totally missing. And why why are they fighting giant space worms? I I can't deal mm-hmm. with that. The, the rest <laughs> of that stuff is good. And uh, the first time I watched GT, you know, kind of properly straight through fan subbed, I literally fell asleep watching my fan subs when it got into the baby proper stuff. And that was the stuff that was boring me when it started getting into the action stuff. That's when I didn't care anymore. Uh, you know, I, I feel differently about that stuff now. Uh, you know, I give it a little bit more of a chance, but uh, yeah, I, I do enjoy that early stuff. It, it's a fun time with the characters traveling. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I actually really like the dynamic that they picked uh, by and large of um of Goku, Pan, and Trunks. Uh, it's funny to see how, uh, skipping ahead a little bit later, but when the, the Black Dragon stuff um, became basically just Goku and Pan on an adventure without Trunks, I was like, hmm, that certainly says something, doesn't it? I wonder if, yeah. I don't know if that was because of fan response or anything, because as much as I love Trunks, I, I you've talked, I, I think actually years ago at this point on your podcast about how it was kind of a shame that future, or not future Trunks, sorry, uh, older Trunks of the you know main timeline that we have with our characters ended up being kind of boring in comparison like and and I guess like the intention with the design of the show is that he's the straight man to you know Goku right, still right. being young at heart and Pan being literally young um you know so he had to be the responsible one etc but I, I forget it maybe, maybe it was you or maybe it was somebody else in the podcast joking about oh it would have been cool though if maybe like the the young bratty spoil side of him would come out once in a while like as a joke or like you know maybe secretly or something would have been kind of cute but they didn't really play with him as much as it would have been cool to see him with yeah i mean it's no secret you look at what they're doing now with dragon ball super they're capitalizing on the popularity of future trunks and mm-hmm. they were trying to do that in gt except we knew that character was not future trunks that was the bratty trunks from our timeline but they took that trunks and tried to make him future trunks and that just doesn't work then you just don't have a character anymore that's not interesting yeah well especially because the context of i mean future trunks is the way he is for a very good reason that right, is yeah. being revisited revisited in super right now actually um and and you know kid trunks is is literally he is a completely different character because of the environment that he grew up in. So I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of a shame. And, and I mean, it's even funny. I think I'd often joke with fans is the fact that like in the in the opening, uh, the, the Japanese opening, Trunks is cutting somebody with a sword. Oh, yeah. The final bout intro, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he never used the sword in GT at <laughs> right, all. Right. Um, but uh, that aside, yeah, the, the overall um, dynamic of, of the three characters like made a lot of those otherwise kind of like, you know, Half and half, kind of fun, like goofy adventure stories. Like they, and they made them entertaining. Uh, and I think because like that dynamic with those three characters was something that Dragon Ball hadn't really had in a really, really long time. Uh, and it, and it was even different from like kind of the way that like it was with like Bulma and Goku and Oolong and Yamcha, like the, the OG Dragon Ball crew from way back before. You know, so it, it was kind of interesting just to see something completely different with the characters in that kind of way. Cause even like, you could say with Super, it's cool to see different things that happen now when we get, you know, like something kind of out of the ordinary and otherwise. But I, I it, it certainly says something that like, the, the most successful kind of stuff that comes out of it is the stuff that's very comfortable, which is the kind of more serious things and the fight scenes and the cool villains and the cool battles and et cetera. And like, you know, the, the deeper kind of like, you know, planetary lore things and like with the different worlds and different planets and dimensions and things like that. Um, so I guess moving finally 20, 30 years later, uh, into the actual baby stuff. 
Um, what are some fond memories that you have of, like, wh- whether it was, you know, back in the fansub days or otherwise, of the actual baby arc itself? Uh, I don't. I, I actually don't enjoy that middle portion there. It's crazy because what I love about Dragon Ball is the world and the story and the setup. And there's pretty much nothing in there that I enjoy. Uh, what I actually mm-hmm. did just earlier this week is I watched uh, the end of the fight, probably the last seven or eight episodes of the baby stuff. Uh, so, you know, a little bit before Super Saiyan 4 toward the end of, you know, getting shot into the sun there. Uh, and I had a great time watching it. I was not expecting that. Uh, I think it, that portion there that I watched starts out really strong uh, as they're working on trying to get Goku transformed back up and, oh, he returns to the battlefield and everything's great for a couple episodes. It drags a little bit as they're both transformed and trying to you know, go back and forth. Although Bulma is the highlight of their evil is amazing there as she's like trying to <laughs> pump him full of the brute's waves and she's so angry at Goku. I love that stuff. Baby Bulma is terrifying. Every time I see her, I'm just like, Ugh, get it away. Oh, no. that giant like... evil grin. It's amazing. But I mean, other than that, the, the fighting in there isn't all that great, but the way it wraps up is great. Uh, so I don't know. Suddenly I like that part of Dragon Ball GT a lot. I, I think I just needed to give it a lot of time before I revisited it. But yeah, I mean, my fond memories of this portion of the, the series, the baby episodes, there aren't many. It really is just that I enjoyed the beginning of it. Uh, and then I didn't really enjoy much until some of the early. I like the beginning of every arc and the end of every arc. And I don't like the stuff in between. <laughs> and that's going to be difficult when we get to Super 17 when it's only like six episodes long so it's like I like yeah. one episode and one episode but whatever well there's this point there's plenty to say about Super 17 um, well I, I remember okay so so first of all when I I, I was buying the, the there were two DVDs that would come out uh, with each uh, portion of episodes from Funimation. Uh, they had this hilarious habit of basically naming each uh, DVD with with a word that ended it with uh, with shun, like T-I-O-N. I don't know why they decided to do that. It was a little weird. But uh, I, I was buying each of the two DVDs that were coming out with each portion back when the Z-Store existed. Remember that? Yeah, I sure do. And uh, so I, w- I was keeping up with them. And because of my exposure to uh, the, the way that I was introduced to GT with that that tape... Uh, I was watching every episode twice. I was making an effort to watch both episodes in English first, and then I would watch them in Japanese afterward. Uh, and with that, it was kind of interesting because, you know, by that point, I was just kind of um, conditioned to just like the dub because that's what I grew up with. Yeah. But, but, but I had an interest in the Japanese version, and I found it in a weird way. I know that this almost seems kind of blasphemous, but I found it interesting and fun to basically be watching two different shows uh, especially in terms of, you know, not, not the content, but the tone, the acting, the writing, like, and, you know, the music, et cetera, were completely night and fucking day between the Japanese and English versions. Yeah, yeah. Since then, the, uh, the newer box sets, uh, you know, obviously my ode to the, uh, the, the, the now, um, dis- disembodied, uh, GT rap that, you know, existed back in the day. Um, that has now since been replaced with English covers of all the, of the endings and, uh, the opening. By uh, some of Funimation's mm-hmm. uh, more vo- vocally inclined town, which is pretty cool, and they have the original Japanese music. Uh, I have not seen the episodes that way, which would be very weird to me um, if I were to see those now. 
But uh, but I, I was watching every episode at least twice in English and Japanese, and I remember not being super enthralled by the Planet M2 stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I Doctor Mew was like kind of entertaining because he was a weirdo. But again, uh, like know. I've had Doctor Gero and I had Doctor Raichi. I'm done here. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't have Doctor Raichi yet until years and years and years later. Unfortunately, not that Raichi's even really a character. Like there's barely no, anything really. there. <laughs> but still, or, or I also didn't have hot. Hachiak, but granted, Baby has a little bit more personality than Hachiak, not by much, but um, but that said, uh, the, the little bit more that he did have, I remember really liking uh, the stuff where they're first heading back to Earth and Baby beats them there, mm, yeah. uh, and he and, and there's a whole, I think, couple episodes at least, or maybe just the one, where he's basically taking over the entire planet before Goku and the others get back. And that was really cool to me. It reminded a lot of the um, the kind of more sneaking around type stuff, like you know the beginning of the Namek stuff. Yeah, I and, agree. You know, when when, when yep. Imperfect Cell is around and everything, that was really cool to me. Um, I liked a lot of the ideas of like, oh, you know, the Earth is basically fucked. It's over. We're gonna go to the you know to Neo Planet, uh, you know, Planet Plant or whatever it was. Uh, and, uh, and then the, the big final fight, I've, I've never been inclined to want to go back and watch it now, but I do remember really liking the big final Super Saiyan 4 versus, uh, the great golden Ozaru baby Vegeta, really fucking long name (laughs) character, (laughs) uh, was pretty cool. Had, had some good, uh, some good animation to it here and there. Yeah. You should go back and watch it. I mean, it's easy for me to say just having literally just watched it two days ago, but yeah, I, I was enjoying myself. I guess, uh, do we, do we move on to 17? next or was there anything else to talk about regarding this? I, I think we should but the only thing I want to say there is a, a point you made in that oh there's some good ideas here and I, that's something we're going to come around to in the end I think oh yeah I know I know where you're going with that one so um, Super 17 again like not only did we just have Dr. Gero number two now we literally also have Dr. Gero again himself plus Dr. Mew. Like, I'm out. Yeah. I'm done. I can't. Well, and, and I can imagine, because I think, I think that by, definitely by the time that we had gotten those episodes on DVD, I had not, I don't think I had seen uh, the, the, the Fusion, the Greatest Fusion, Fusion Reborn right, right. movie 12. I had not seen it yet, but I definitely knew everything, because that... How could anybody not on the internet know about the movie where all of the bad guys come back from hell and right. Goku and Vegeta have to fuse into Gogeta, et cetera? Like, that, every, and Janemba was on every poster everywhere and everything in existence. So you, you couldn't not see that shit. So even I knew, didn't they do this already for one of the DBZ movies? Um, but I saw that before I saw movie 12. Uh, but even then, honestly, I was still disappointed by, like, the whole execution of it and like super 17 even hearing it in concept i was like really like that's this is the character you're going to make into like the because even not that that having frieza and cell like be the big villains of that arc i guess would have been that much more creative but just i don't know like this it's also 17 super 17's design is really stupid looking (laughs) (laughs) that's a tough thing yeah i don't i don't know what it is about super 17's design super hell fighter 17 i i just don't like it i don't know if it's the slicked hair i think that's it it's just goofy and now it's funny because speaking of dragon ball heroes earlier we've had these very strange new versions where it's like super 17 after absorbing 18 and after absorbing 16 and he like takes on their traits and it's like uh, this is not Steven Universe, guys. What are we watching right now? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a tough thing. It's not just that we recycle the idea of everyone escaping from hell. Oh, no, what do we do? But you're bringing back a villain to fuse with 
himself and that's the villain in a revenge arc after you just wrapped up a revenge arc that started from that guy looking for revenge? Yeah, I... The, honestly, the only thing I think it even had... Because movie 12 is pretty fun. Like it, it's, it is. It's one of the better DBZ movies. It's not amazing, but it's it's an enjoyable little fan service fest. The, the one thing that I was a little disappointed about in 12 is that, like... And I, I because, obviously, it's, it's shorter form content, so it makes sense why they did this. But, uh, you know, they didn't really u- like, utilize a whole lot out of the other villains coming back to life. It was really just the one shot of Frieza getting, you know, sucker punched in the gut by Gohan, which is amazing. Um, but then the rest of them are just like, oh, no, and they all jump off a building and kill themselves. Um, what I did kind of like is in, like, the one episode where they did focus on that uh, in the midst of this arc was they had some pretty funny little quick run-ins with um, basically all of the rest of the good guys fighting against all these characters. And they're like, we're so much stronger than all of them that it's like, oh, Pan literally flies past the Red Ribbon Army, all of them, and they all die. And I'm like, wow, that was like 50 episodes in Dragon Ball or however long it was, Jesus Christ. And then like the other good gag of, I think it's, I think it's Goten and Trunks firing into uh, an alleyway and like 19's head. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there's some good gags. That shit cracked me up, I, I admit I like that. There's some good gags and yeah, it, it's fun. The Nappa stuff there, Vegeta, maybe you want a little more out of that, but yeah, maybe yeah. not so much. Like I feel like I've set up Super, Super 17's arc as something I don't like. And that's actually not true. I, I do kind of like the arc, but I think the only reason I semi-like it is because it's so short. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's weird because I think I think that probably with most people, like, knowing the this, the general kind of map of, well, not just that, but because you could, you could even argue in a way that maybe you could kind of loop in the Super 17 arc into the evil dragons arc and kind of look at GT as like the two halves, like the we're in space and then we're back on earth and there's other bad guys we have to fight again. Kind of, yeah, uh, it, kind of set up. It really is the connecting arc, isn't it? I mean, you're coming off of revenge into revenge and then because of what happens there, that sets up the evil dragons. And I think that's, also part of why it works so well and why I think it can only work so well in the context of GT and only at that specific part of GT. I think I think that for a lot of people, and it's certainly for me too, and I think for a lot of my friends at the time, I think there was a perception that that arc was probably longer than it actually was because I think that since everyone was so used to kind of all these... Um, because when you look at DBZ, if you really get down to it, it's like, oh, it's the it's the Saiyan arc, the Frieza arc, which is super long, the androids, which you could even argue is part of the Cell arc, which is really long. It absolutely, and then the is, rest yeah. of it is yeah, and and then it's, and then it's the the Boo arc, etc. But but because of also the way that fans and then probably by proxy Funimation split up each of these individual pieces. Because actually, I just learned uh, from a friend of mine, this little side note, um, a friend of mine who is, I think, actually around your age too, Mike, and he grew up in the fan sub ages, he actually told me that the the Fusion Saga thing was actually something that he remembered seeing on fan sub VHS tapes oh, yeah. of the later part of the Boo, of the Boo arc. Um, before Funimation decided to call it that, I thought that that was a Funimation thing, that they just decided to call the second half, like the, the Super Boo arc or whatever, as the Fusion Saga. And I didn't realize that that was a fan sub thing. No, that was totally um, a marketing thing from the fan subbers and the illegal bootleggers back then. I mean, they were coming up with clever terms to market things. Uh, whereas Funimation went with what they go in perfect sell. Uh, in the fan sub days, I remember non-perfect sell volume three, that kind of thing. And that's an easier sell. It's easier to digest than it is Freeze Arc volume 36. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially when you have like, you know, those box sets which had like eight tapes or 11 tapes or right, I mean, yeah. the Frieza saga is like 
such a fat thing. And then anybody, because the same thing, like with like the Ginyu saga, which that was kind of just a product of, you know, when they were picking up where the ocean dub left off and et cetera. Because right. like you could call that the Ginyu arc or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that because people were looking at and, and like these different sagas, they just kind of perceived, oh, the Super 17 arc must be like a fair amount of episodes, like 26 episodes or something mm, like an yeah, arc I can would see be that. or whatever. And it's like, no. Nope. But uh, well, then I guess we go into... What I, I, I'm going to maybe even presume might be both of our favorite parts of GT, possibly, is the dragon stuff. Uh, no, I hate it. Oh, well, I, I okay. absolutely <laughs> loathe it. Uh, this is what you were talking about earlier. We're great idea, right? Repercussions mm-hmm. for using the Dragon Balls. The Dragon Balls fight back. Why is it so bad? Yeah, well, I guess it's probably because it's probably because only a couple if at all, of those seven dragon characters were even halfway interesting and the rest of them were really, really lame, annoying characters. Yeah, I mean, that's totally it. And this is where you get into the, what is Toriyama's magic? What is that je ne sais quoi about Toriyama that he contributes to the series? And I think the Evil Dragon's arc does not have any of that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Like, it totally misses the point about what Dragon Ball is and why these characters are the way they are, what their motivations are. Uh, And it it just doesn't work. And this is, the again, the other part where I slept through my fan subs. I I could Mm -hmm. not do it. Um, my, My slightly more more positive attachment <laughs> is uh, well, I mean, not by much, but okay. So, um, well, my friend Jason had that one tape that had the last like three or four episodes on it up until the final fight with Yi Shinlong. Um, so I had bought from Collector's Kingdom because they were basically selling those tapes after a while. I think because they probably knew they couldn't keep renting them without getting you know slammed by yeah, somebody yeah. legally. Um, I bought the second to last tape, which basically had all of the Su Shinlong. Uh, or four star dragon Nova Shenlong mm-hmm. uh, character stuff in it, uh, along with the uh, Vegeta flashback episode where he finally gets the Bloodswave machine and be- can become Super Saiyan four, etc. So I had those four episodes, uh, everything up until right when Yushin y- Long appears and he hurts Goku's eyes and everything. And I used to watch those episodes countless times, uh, and not just for the content itself, but because like. That was one of my very, very few windows into the Japanese version of, of the show into something that hadn't aired on Cartoon Network, that wasn't going to air on Cartoon Network for many, many years by that point. Uh, I mean, not many, many, but a lot. Um, and then the, you know, just like the, the Japanese commercials that were kept on there. I remember loving the, uh, actually, fans of TV Tome Adventures uh, who might recognize the uh, opening theme of Mega Man X4, uh, from Rockman X4, I should say, uh, in Japanese. Uh, I found that song because I remember seeing a commercial um, Mike, I'm sure you might be familiar with the infamous "What am I fighting for?" thing from X4. Uh, I saw the Japanese version of that scene with Zero screaming and a commercial. I think it was celebrating Mega Man's like 10th anniversary, even because they had like Mega Man 8 and X4 coming out, and they had all these cool commercials. And I used to watch that tape so many times, and I loved it. And I really liked Sushin Long because I knew the basic concept of the the evil dragons and I thought that like that was a really cool idea even like as a kid I thought oh that's that's neat like having these characters and Sushin Long being like you know oh hey okay he's got to fight Goku and he's uh, being executed as a villain but he has this kind of sense of honor to him and, and they're kind of having some you know a little bit of camaraderie because of the attachment he has with the four star ball and everything I really liked that and then I was actually sad when he got killed and when you know the three-star dragon comes in who is an ice guy, and I, I loved ice characters as well. So it might even just be because of those few episodes and then followed by the ending, which we're going to get to. But I will fully agree, the the actual episodes of the rest of the dragons 
I, lo- I loved the concept so goddamn much. Those episodes are fucking boring. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I they're can't insufferably do it. I can't do it. silly. Yeah. And you keep saying all these great ideas like, oh, yeah, of course the four star dragon, him and Goku are going to have some kind of understanding. And just nothing really pans out Dragon Ball ish throughout the entire arc. Yeah, I I don't know. Like and and the fights are cool. Like the the actual fights between the last few dragons are are pretty ne- cuz actually what what it did have going for it, a, a little minor thing I will give it credit for. Uh some of the locations that they went to in that like made for cool backdrops of the actual fight scenes like just that weird kind of city with like the amusement park and all this weird shit everywhere. Like they like traveled around a lot in the middle of the fight. And and then also the fact that uh, the last three dragons that that's almost kind of like one big long fight happening like in a row yeah, yeah. Uh, between the four star one then then the three star one and then finally the final battle with the with the one star dragon it's all one giant thing and it's just like moving all over the world and that's kind of cool I kind of liked the, the 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 design of that in a way I mean I'm assuming that was what it was planned for as well but uh, then I guess we get into the the so okay we've talked about this a lot and and you were telling me before we were, we were gonna record this this curve log how you wanted to go back and actually watch uh, some GT stuff I unfortunately didn't have time um, it's probably fresher in my memory just from you know the the when we were watching it in general from back in the day but uh, one of the few, if not the only thing that I ever do go back and watch from GT when I feel like it is the final battle with Yi Xinlong in like the last like few episodes of GT. Yeah, 63 and 64. I mean, 63, 64 is its own thing, but yeah. So what do you think of what for a long time was the very, very last like big battle in Dragon Ball animation as it was. Do you think that like that fight was kind of a cool note to go out on? Like what were your kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that was the end of Dragon Ball. That was it. There was nothing more. And I've had conflicting thoughts over the years. And I think in general, for the most part, I'm going to stick with I think it's really really solid. Uh, I like that we came off of these repercussions for the Dragon Balls. Not just that, but there's repercussions for the repercussions almost. Goku has to leave. Like, that's it. He's gotta go. Uh, And he gets a chance to say goodbye to everyone. And everyone, mostly everyone, some people are still a little oblivious, but uh, the key characters, they have to make peace with the fact that Goku is leaving. Piccolo has this great understanding, this silent understanding down there in hell. I think a really powerful moment is, and I'm like, I'm already choking up a little bit thinking of it, is, and this is something I've talked about, is where does Goku go? What happens to him? You know, he leaves, but then Pan sees his clothing there on the ground, and she's like, wait, but Grandpa, and again, I'm getting choked up thinking about this, and I, I forget what Fujita exactly says, but he says something like, Make sure you treasure that. And he flies off mm-hmm. like, holy yeah. shit. Like yeah. he, yeah, he yeah. gets it. Oh my God. That like I'm moved. I am emotionally moved by that. Scene. Oh yeah. No, I mean, the, and it's funny. You remind me when you talk about the key characters for certain Bulma, Vegeta, Piccolo, Pan and Krillin specifically, the, the little, the little last bits that they get. Cause I even want to add uh, one of my favorite scenes actually in, in that little ending bit that gets me emotional is that last little sparring bit that Goku oh, and Krillin have God, together, yes. uh, and and the the, the really nice um, orchestral version of uh, Hitori Janai as the background music, 
I really, really like how they, like, like, genuinely, I think that is a very, very well-handled scene. You know what I love most about that scene? If you notice, Kami Senin, the turtle sage, he is standing there in the background. He's got his sunglasses on. His gaze never moves from watching Goku. Mm-hmm. He yeah. saw Goku come and go. Oh my God. Like, oh, yeah. so good. It's, uh, and then the, uh, actually you, you had, I'm going to, I'm going to out you in your outline. You had, a, <laughs> you had a great, a great bit, uh, that I, I remember, I think I had read maybe even on your site a long time ago, uh, a bit that Masako Nozawa, the voice of Goku, uh, had mentioned about the very last bit before the ending ending, uh, where there's a, a, a time skip years later. Right. Um, what she, what she had to say about Goku leaving more or less. Yeah, you want me to read it here? Yeah, go for it. All right, so this comes from, there are two, I guess you'd call them guidebooks to Dragon Ball GT that came out in Japan. They're like very mini Daizenshu. They're comic size. They're called the Dragon Ball GT Perfect Files. And there's a very long interview with Masako Nozawa, the voice of Son Goku there, uh, in the second one. And specifically talking about the ending, this is what she says, quote, The scene where, after Goku finishes fighting, he rides on Shenlong and says, Shenlong's back sure is warm. That's because riding on Shenlong means that Goku's going to leave the world and go to the world of the gods. I was glad they didn't write it plainly that he died, though. I feel that Goku probably went to Shenlong's place in his training again. You know what? I, I, first of all, I think we can probably we don't have to say too much about the special about you know Goku Junior or whatever. We don't have to say much about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I did really appreciate the kind of idea they went for with the ending in a little bit of its ambiguity and its finality to everything because in in recent years i've grown to like the end the actual end of z a little bit more like i mainly because i guess from a from a creator standpoint i understand and appreciate toriyama's idea of wanting to leave things open and up to the imagination yeah which you could even argue that the ending of gt kind of doesn't i mean it does in that it's setting up for the new generation which is you know goku jr and vegeta jr obviously um, but in terms of like the end of the characters that we know and love, right? Um, you know, it, it's very final. But for some reason, just I don't know. I I I guess just whoever directed that episode, whoever wrote that episode, or not, not everybody, everybody at Toei, like just something about the way that they chose to have that ending for everything when they knew by that point. Because I don't know, maybe even GT because sixty four is kind of a weird number too. It is. Yeah. Maybe GT was intended to go on for longer or shorter or something i don't know like than it was intended to we'll never really know the actual answer to that question honestly um but either way like for everything that happened and for all of the whole journey the with the excruciating and boring parts included i don't know like just that whole thing at the end somehow kind of made it worth it and it and it doesn't often make me look back with like disgust about gt like a lot of people often do i agree and i mean you clearly heard me as I was talking about those scenes. Like, they move me emotionally. Um, oh, yeah. But where I kind of want to talk about what gives me pause, and I stand by those feelings, and I still think those are valid, and I believe them. Um, but I do want to read something very briefly that uh, my buddy Kay, he goes by K17, lives in Japan, he's a Japanese fan. Uh, he wrote something about Toriyama's world uh, for a 30th anniversary magazine we did for Dragon Ball uh, a couple years ago. He was writing about what does it mean for uh, to be reading a Toriyama world? What is Toriyama's influence? What does 
that world consist of and what kind of outlook does it give you? And so I just want to read a, a brief selection here because he addresses the end of GT. Uh, Kay says, thinking about it now, it all makes sense. The fact that I like the way both the Boo arc and Battle of Gods end and conversely, why I felt an intense discomfort at the end of GT, which punctuates the end of Goku's tale. Dragon Ball should be a tale about the character of Son Goku and his world. People should always gather together through a variety of events, drawn in by Goku, and it should always end with Goku's innocent smile and a sense of exploration for an even further expansion of the story. And he goes on a little bit there. And I think GT gets that a little bit at the end there, that ending scene with Goku smiling gets Nyoibo, flies off on Kintone. Like, that, that's a powerful stuff. And it was Nakatsuru himself, by the way, I talked about earlier stuff. Um, he animated the final scene of Dragon Ball GT himself. I, I think that's really important oh, okay. to note there. Uh, I think it does hit a little bit there, but I totally get where Kay is coming from. If there's a finality to the series, that means Goku can't gather his friends together again. And Man, isn't that a downer? Because that's what Dragon Ball is. Yeah, they may not see each other for years at a time, but at some point they're all going to come together again and it's going to feel like no time has passed. And if Goku leaves, that can't happen. And that's not Toriyama. You know, okay, you've you've actually made me think about something that I wasn't even expecting to have brought up here. So I just recently watched through uh, BoJack Horseman on Netflix uh, which I'm also going to be doing a curb blog about at some point. That's not a, a advertisement, though. Um, one of the one of the points made in uh, the show, without spoiling too much, is they talk about how like life goes on and how like happily ever after may not necessarily exist because it's like when everything wraps up neatly with something, it's like well then, but life doesn't work that way necessarily. There's still more to it afterward, even if it's not interesting, even if it's not something you're going to see. It doesn't just end. Yeah, and that kind of says a lot about. I mean, you know, this could be a whole discussion about endings to shows and, and media in general, certainly. But it says a lot about Dragon Ball because it, it you know, when I forget what, what interview it was, but when Toriyama was talking about all of, you know, the, the, the few different points throughout the, the run of the comic and everything where, you know, oh, this might be the end or this might be the end here, et cetera, you know, and, and different points. Mike has had a whole list of extensive um, research about that too, which you can read on the site about the possible intended endings in different times. But what was common about all of them, even all the way up until the end when he was finally like, thank God I can stop and take a fucking vacation, um, was the fact that like, okay, but there's still more. Like, yep. and, and you don't yep. have to necessarily know what it is, but the fact that there's more out there and that life goes on, the journey continues, the training continues, you know, the adventure continues. Um, I like that a lot. And as a creator too, I've grown to have a lot of appreciation for that sort of mentality when it comes to telling stories. Um, yeah, you, so you don't, don't have to end your story. You, you end an arc. You, you end a point of development and you, and you end with a sense of hopefully satisfaction. Um, and then, and then arguably there are even some people that end with like a sense of vagueness. Cause like some, I think that some people who, who dislike, who probably still understandably dislike the ending of Z as it was in the comic is because it's vague, but, or, or rather they, they interpret it as vague. But I don't know. I think that like, the the idea of like this is the next chapter in Goku's life. You don't necessarily get to see it, but that doesn't mean that it's not happening and it's not exciting and cool to think about. I don't know that that I really that that really could be a whole another subject in and unto itself. So I don't want to prattle on that one for too long. But it is really interesting to think about because like 
you get the satisfaction of the finality of GT's ending, yeah. but you get the the value of like the Toriyama sensibility from the ending that he made in the comic before they finally let him, you know, take a vacation. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know. Like thinking about it now, like I like them both for different reasons. I don't know if I could say that I like one more than the other. And I think that's what I've come around to is I do like them for different reasons, and I'm not gonna lap one up because it's Toriyama. You know, I do think Toei took a chance with what they did for an ending to the series. And I respect them for what they did there. And I think everyone came together and produced a a piece of artwork. I think episode 64 of GT is a fantastic piece of artwork. I I would agree in terms of I respect and, you know, well, okay, from just the pure business perspective, it's like, of course, the show is going to be made. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because now, you know, we look at today and we see, you know, stuff like Naruto and Bleach, uh, ending in their manga it's series. It's over, but and, it's you know, not over. Mm-hmm, yeah, and like, I, you know, Boruto is already set for, you know, a whole bunch of stuff, and who knows if Bleach will, it very well might, and, you know, I, even I was talking to uh, Steve Yurko about this recently uh, regarding One Piece. Who the fuck knows if that might happen with One Piece? There might be the pirate adventures of the people that they, the young people that Luffy and his crew have influenced that Toei will do themselves and Oda can finally go on his fucking honeymoon. (laughs) Um, So I don't know. Yeah, I I, I, see because GT, I think, has kind of made that sort of uh, that thought process in people now when it comes to like long ongoing franchise shows. Uh, you know, that that companies probably don't necessarily want to end end for good if they don't have to necessarily. So it's it's interesting because on one hand, I do appreciate from the production value of like, hey, you know what? This is cool that they tried doing this. And there were parts of this that I did enjoy. Does the fact that it's just like, eh, we just wanted to do more Dragon Ball for another couple of years and just make more money off of it. Does that taint it or is it just like whatever? Yeah, it's really cynical, but you have to be realistic about it. That is precisely what it was. Oh my God, we're making money. We don't want to stop making money. At the same time, there are a bunch of artists that are involved in the creation of this show. Uh, and I think they got a chance to shine and they had to step up to the plate without Toriyama there to influence them. And I think a lot of them did some really cool stuff. Um, just real briefly, I want to mention the design of Super Saiyan 4. That was something that Katsuyoshi Nakatsuru designed all on his own. Uh, And he's told some stories about it. He pretty much designed it to its final design in his initial sketch. He said he did a version with gold hair and then a version with the the black hair and they ended up going to black. They like the contrast of the colors there. But it's essentially identical to his initial sketch from it there. And the Super Saiyan 4 design is one of the most widely accepted aspects of gt people seem to really like that form and it's crazy he's like he's a giant furry people people like that but <laughs> but actually people do really like the super saiyan 4 form and, and i, 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 kind do, of feel I the do same too way. yeah even, even though it's like it, it, okay the actual conceptual the, the conceptualization of it like in the context of the story is ridiculous it is it's like wait what yeah because i think i even even somebody described it as it's like it's almost kind of like one of those weird sort of side forms, like the legendary Super Saiyan or yeah, the yeah. false Super Saiyan or whatever. And granted, like, you could also say that the god forms that we have in Super are, you know, no different than that, really. But either way, um, yeah, I, I think uh, I like it. I like the design of it a lot. I, I liked having the kind of uh, the contrast between because it was fun having adult Goku's personality, uh, you know, the, the, a little bit more of the not by much, but the little bit more mature uh, personality coming out of the kid body was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. And then even on the dub side of things, it was kind of cool because this made sense for like the, for Stefan Adoni to be kid Goku 
uh, and then Sean Schemmel to be Super Saiyan 4 adult body Goku. From from the dub side of things, that was kind of cool, and I liked the kind of contrast between that and almost... Because Super Saiyan 4 was very different from the other transformations in that it was almost kind of like a, like a superhero transformation. Like, the Super Saiyan forms are, are much more like power-ups. Super Saiyan 4 almost felt like a... Like, like, almost kind of like, a, like, what's his name? Captain Marvel from DC, where you have, like, the two different completely, like, contrasting designs. That was kind of neat about that. Like, that was sort of something in, in the midst of the, the, the halfway point of the show that I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I like how different this is. Which leads me to also think, like, for how different GT is, like, it, it has the elements and, 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 you know, in there, of course, and, and different bits and pieces of what we like about Dragon Ball in general. But do you think that what it is that's good about it is the fact that it is different? Yeah, I, I think they took a lot of chances with the stuff they did there. Again, it is a cash grab. Of course it is. But they did take some risks there. And I appreciate them going out on a limb and trying some different things there. And I don't like everything that they tried. But I think those were all ideas worth trying. And I think those are the ideas you need to try without Toriyama. So I'm, I'm glad they, they did there. Another thing I get to see, I, I see tossed around a lot lately is um, people saying that Dragon Ball Super is like they're trying again with GT, uh, but trying to do a better job this time. And it's funny because I, I would even also argue that people have had maybe just as much, if not more, I don't know for sure because it's not over yet, but they've certainly had a fair share of complaints with Super uh, for understandable reasons, um, just as they have had with GT. So, and and even there's been a little bit of similarities in, in terms of like, uh, I mean, obviously the aesthetics are are much more Z, uh, which is the design of the characters and the fact that it's taking place during that period of time, but. I don't know. Like, there's there's some things about it that does kind of remind me of GT, and I don't hate that. I don't I don't like hold it against it. It's just because of the fact that it's like it's inherently, hey, Dragon Ball Z was designed with an ending by the creator, and now they're doing more long after the fact. Like, that's just inherently what both Super and GT are. And you know, that's that's just you know, this is kind of a non-saying, but that is what it is. It's just yeah, that's yeah, fine, and you just you just enjoy or disenjoy whatever you get out of it yeah i don't know and it's funny because especially since we've been doing all these super discussions like as the arcs have been airing and everything uh it's kind of funny to see the contrast between back in the day like even just like not the show itself but also the era and like how everything was with fans and and the internet and etc uh compared to now with everything with with this new show it's it's very bizarre and cool. I don't know. Dragon Ball is great. I love everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward great. to another 20 years from now when we can, uh, you know, a little bit more removed from Super uh, compare the two series in, in different ways. I think that'll be the right time to do that now. I don't think comparing them now is worthwhile. I don't think it makes any sense to do that. They're, they're products of two completely different times, vastly different types of involvement from the original author. Maybe not that vastly different. It's, the Toriyama involvement question is a larger one I don't even really want to get into. Yeah, I mean, we, We've talked so much about GT. Chris, we could probably do another hour. We've are, You and I have talked about <laughs> um, the music of GT. We did an episode, uh, What Defines Dragon Ball Music, and we talked extensively about the music in GT. Uh, you touched on some stuff from the dub. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm not very familiar with the English dub of GT specifically, but I think there's some stuff we could have gotten into there. Uh, the alternate English 
English dub of GT that was done for the UK market that did keep oh, its an original right. music the entire time. Yeah, and and I think even might have had a might have even had a little bit of a more faithful script. I'm not sure about that because I haven't seen it extensively. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. There's lots of anybody on behind the voice actors will find comparisons, and it's so weird not hearing like. Like, because, you know, you would have expected that that Ocean Group would have done it, but it was a different studio in Calgary. Yeah, yeah. And all these characters have totally different voices that have nothing to do with any of the the kind of expected voices of them. Right. Which is bizarre. There's all that stuff. I mean, again, going back to production stuff, things like the music, uh, the color palette for the show, uh, the types of animation yeah, yeah. techniques used during the show. There's so much more we could get into. But I think the fact that we highlighted the content of the show, I'm assuming that's what people wanted to hear about. And I hope we did that justice as best we could in something a little over an hour. For sure, yeah. There actually, just again, I know we're kind of wrapping up here, but there was something that you pointed out uh, a while ago on uh, on on the podcast. It's something that I think is probably not going to end up happening because I think by this point it's established that uh, that the the individual universes, the twelve universes that we have in oh, Dragon yeah, Ball yeah. Super. Uh, are are all are all their own separate things more or less? But you have this great Joe, which I, actually you might even know what I'm going at. You want to explain what you were kind of hoping would be the case later with one of the alternate universes? I mean, I think everyone was kind of hoping early on that Universe Two is the GT world, Universe Three is the Dragon Ball Heroes world, Universe Four is the Dragon Ball Online world, and. <laughs> Would that, would that truly be interesting? I don't know. I think maybe I'd like to see a coy reference to that, but I don't think I would want that to be a plot point. No, the coyest reference we've gotten is what they did with, with Pilaf, Xiao, and Mai and, you know, Probably. the age down yeah. thing. <laughs> um, if, you know, at the very least, though, I'll, I'll end with this, is when when they do the video games, and especially with, with uh, Xenoverse as of recent, where um, they they basically chalk it up to oh this is another alternate timeline basically yeah, yeah. with uh, the G with the GT universe and then they'll go and they'll fight some of the you know like the the dragon characters and baby and Super Seventeen and we'll see those characters and everything even even hearing the GT versions of the characters and everything pop in they're like well, for some reason. Uh, adult Goku's personality portrayed through the kid Goku body from GT is always really funny to me because also now uh, Colleen Clinkenbeard, who's been playing uh, kid Goku and kid Gohan and all the recent Funimation stuff, she got to do GT Goku in Xenoverse recently, and she totally gets that like, oh man, Chi Chi's gonna kill me. I'm married and I am I have the voice of a ten year old. Like that's really amusing to me. <laughs> Uh, and like, and just seeing those characters, like it it doesn't it doesn't make me groan. No, I even agree. though GT even though GT is something that like offhandedly with fans like oh ha ha gt huh yeah you know what i'm saying but like i don't know when it's brought up and stuff it, it's like oh yeah gt i remember gt those are some good times and you know in my early days of fandom and you know my fond memories i have of watching those back in the day and everything so i don't know they're they're welcome in in my personal universe of dragon ball enjoyment i guess you could say yeah so. welcome to the nostalgia club gt <laughs> congratulations you've made it because you're fucking your 20 year guy. I can't fucking believe it's been 20 years since GT came out. I really cannot believe that. Yep. <sighs> okay. Well, uh, on that note of feeling old, Jesus Christ, that's going to do it, I think. So, uh, Mike, I mean, you know, we've, we've done this many times, but please go ahead and plug anything that you'd like. Actually, you've got some cool stuff happening on the site if you want to talk about that. So, we do have some cool stuff. It actually kind of ties in the stuff that I've just recently launched today as we're recording this. Uh, so hi, my name is Mike. Uh, a screen name I've used for 20 years is <laughs> Vegito EX. I'm one of the four guys that runs a website called Kanzenshu, K A N Z E N S H U U. 
dot com. Uh, we are pretty much the oldest, longest running Dragon Ball fan site and probably the only one that you need to visit. We got all sorts of stuff, uh, including the podcast that you alluded to. Uh, the podcast itself is now over 10 years old, if you can believe that. been doing that for Dear that God. long. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> a section that I just launched on the site, uh, I call it the sibling to our translation section, which is a, a very much adored section where we have interviews and magazine articles and stuff translated from uh, the Japanese source material, uh, I launched something called the Press Archive, which is kind of the English language and eventually more international equivalent of that with transcriptions of magazine articles and interviews and newspaper clippings, that kind of stuff. Uh, and a lot of the things that I included for the launch of this section, I have about 80 articles that I included here, uh, were things contemporary with Dragon Ball GT in the early mid nineties from things like, um, in America by Viz and electronic gaming monthly and game fan magazine, there was coverage of GT contemporary to its Japanese broadcast in American media. And I think that's fascinating to look at, uh, as they looked uh, ahead to GT and then continue to look ahead to it as it would eventually hit American shores. So things like the coverage of Final Bout and looking ahead to the syndication broadcast there in 96, there's some great material to dive into. And especially if you're that young that you weren't alive back then, I think it's uh, <laughs> going to be very educational for you. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of really cool and interesting history related to Dragon Ball and really like the anime uh, presence in the U.S., uh, back in that time that Mike and a lot of his friends have, you know, were around for and have archived and have talked extensively about. So go check that out. I'll have links to a lot of stuff in the, in the description as always. Probably the next time that you'll be hearing Mike on Kerblogs most likely is uh, when the Future Trunks Black Goku arc thing in Dragon Ball Super is done. And uh, I'll be having him come out and uh, hopefully Kaiser as well. And also, uh, if possible, I'm going to put her on the spot, I guess, publicly, but uh, I would love for Mary to join on that one since uh, there's lots of Trunks goodness to be shared with everybody. Oh, yeah, she's already said she's down. She's here. Oh, sweet. Okay, cool. Awesome. So very happy about that. So that'll that'll be a four-person roundtable discussion on a pretty in-depth arc that's still going on right now, and we're still not entirely yeah, sure no what the going to happen. <laughs> it's going to no. go forever. It's been... It's, it's an exciting time because it's it's seriously like every other episode. Like, oh, I didn't expect that. Oh, I didn't expect that either. Oh, Jesus, what's going on? Okay, uh, so that's going to be a fun one. I I wonder if we'll break the two hour record on that one. <laughs> I we'll see what happens. You get the four of us um, together. That is likely. It's very very possible. <laughs> Uh, well, that's going to wrap us up. So, Mike, thank you again for joining me as always. Sure uh, in the comments thing. below. Uh, any comments, any things, any stories, any any opinions, anything at all that you want to say about Dragon Ball GT, just don't be mean. <laughs> I don't know. Or be mean. I can't stop you. What with its YouTube comments. What the fuck am I saying? But uh, no, anything you got to say about Dragon Ball GT, I'm curious, especially because of, again, the the kind of fluctuating age range of the people who listen to my stuff. I'm, I'm not always sure. Especially any any newer uh, fans in particular. If, if maybe like your first exposure to GT might have been uh, when it aired on Nicktoons uh, a few years ago. Let me know what your impressions were of it in that way. Like if it was any different compared to the, the folks who were watching it on Cartoon Network or anybody who watched any of the episodes and fan subs or anything back in the day. I was going to say, I'm old, curious. old people? Any? Anyone else? Anyone? Yeah, Anyone yeah, else? no, no, seriously. I, I mean, there might be some. I'm, I'm curious. Speak up, if so. Uh, but that's it. So, and I've got a few more topics that I've got planned coming out for the rest of this month before things get crazy, and I've got a whole lot of crazy shit I'm doing for the rest of the year, but look forward to that. Uh, thanks for listening, as always, and we will catch you on the next exciting episode of Not Dragon Ball GT. Bye! <laughs>